Broadcasting live from atop the Rocky Mountains, the crossroads of the West, you are listening to the Liberty Roundtable Radio Talk Show. All right. Happy to have you along, my fellow Americans. Sam Bushman live on your radio, hard-hitting news the networks refuse to use. No doubt starts now. Ladies and gentlemen, this is not a low-energy show. <laughs> I'm fired up and ready to go. But, man, this is a, my voice is just struggling. I don't know what the heck's going on. It's maybe the cold air and the change of the seasons. I don't know. But I went outside this morning. Beautiful, clear, sunny day. But it's 21 degrees outside. Wow. And where Dr. Scott Bradley is, it's even colder than that. Woo. I'm telling you right now, it's very cold. It'll be a warm, nice day today. It'll get up to 40 degrees. <laughs> so winter is among us. I know they say it doesn't start officially till what, December 21st? And it's November 25th, so we're almost a month early. But, man, it is kicking in. Getting cold, I guess that's part of the global warming reality that we face, huh? Very interesting. A happy, elongated Thanksgiving weekend to all of you. Uh, from our Liberty Roundtable Live family to yours, we want to wish all of you a happy Thanksgiving. God save our constitutional republic. LovingLiberty.net is our website, ladies and gentlemen. Please read George Washington's Thanksgiving proclamation of 1789. It's incredible. We also talked to a bunch of people yesterday who came on live to wish you a happy Thanksgiving. We talked to Greg Phillips, well-known leader uh, with Catherine Engelbrecht of True the Vote. And Greg Phillips got out of prison, as you know. And so his statement was, I'm just grateful to be free. Wow, what a Thanksgiving message, huh? Kate Daly was with us as well, well-known talk show host. She wished everybody a Thanksgiving, happy Thanksgiving. Richard Mack was with us as well. Scott Shara, that's the man where government in bed with the hospitals literally killed his Down syndrome daughter. OurAmazingGrace.net if you want to learn more about Scott Shara's story. We also had James Edwards on with us. Uh, we talked about seriously good news for the 2,000 Mules investigators, WND.com, uh, with that story. <clears throat> and it basically talks about, hey, you know what? More and more evidence is proving that the 2,000 Mules investigators are right to bring up their concerns. The greater courts, or uh, I don't know what you want to say, the higher courts uh, literally said, hey, I don't know why you guys are forcing Greg Phillips and Catherine Engelbrecht to turn over the names of the people. You know what? That comes way later in the case. You guys had a political agenda. Uh, so that's good news because that's what Richard Mack and others were saying uh, was the case. Now the courts are agreeing with Mack and disagreeing with the lower courts. We talked about our AmazingGrace.net, as I mentioned. We talked about this is a wonderful time to be on Earth. While there is much that is wrong in the world today, there are many things that are right and good. We're talking about a um, talk given by the late former prophet of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, Thomas S. Monson. He gave a uh, an address or a speech called this is a good speech, folks. The Define Grift, the Define Gift of Gratitude. Uh, and the uh, it was in October 2010 is when it was given. We talked about this Thanksgiving. May we remember the best things in life are not things, but rather people and the moments we get to share with them. 
Friends, we're facing a giant, and we need prayers, and we need a miracle. Fortunately, God uses little stones. Yeah, instead of slinging a stone, we need you to call your congressmen, your senators, and push them to reject this disrespect for marriage act. Please do it now. We know you're busy this week. It's Thanksgiving, but the enemy knows this as well. Hoping you'll be too busy to say a prayer, to get up, to get involved, to say a phone call. I'm sorry, to make a phone call. Senator Lee confirms that if the Disrespect for Marriage Act passes, it will be a crushing defeat for religious freedom in America. The RMA will very likely be used to deprive Christians in schools unless they get rid of their one-man, one-woman marriage beliefs and education. We also heard an anonymous Thanksgiving message about a personal experience. That was hour one. Hour two, we had on Pete Sapp of the National Taxpayers Union, Tanya Benson, Randy Miller of CSPOA.org. We also had on Lowell Nelson, Campaign for Liberty, wishing you all a happy Thanksgiving. We talked about taxpayers have much to be thankful for. We talked about a bipartisan coalition introducing a bill to permanently ban earmarks. And we talked about the incredible um, broadcast from the late Paul Harvey, Our Lives, Our Fortunes, Our Sacred Honor. And we talked about liberty in all seasons. It's a Rand Paul delivery. And then we talked about Don't Let Any Man Take Away Your Hope, a new column from Chuck Baldwin. We talked about from True the Vote, full of gratitude. And we talked, or we played the song, Brandon, Brandon Heath, Give Me Your Eyes. Learning about how we can look at others through God's eyes. Understanding their pain, their suffering, their struggles, but providing love, support, b- bearing one another's burdens, if you will. Finally, we finished by saying, please remember to pray, love, and serve this Thanksgiving. God bless all of you. That's a recap of the broadcast that took place uh, literally yesterday live for Thanksgiving. Today, we have an equal, if not even more important, broadcast to deliver. Yesterday was fun, and what's your favorite uh, you know, Thanksgiving foods, and uh, what do you think is the most important, or what do you think is the uh, most unique thing for Thanksgiving that you love or that, that matters to you the most? We'll talk about that with our guests today before we get into the history of America, the history of Thanksgiving, and the brilliance of our founding fathers. Dr. Scott Bradley, welcome back to Liberty Roundtable Live, sir. Well, thank you. It sounds to me like you had uh, a grand get-together yesterday on Thanksgiving with so many people that had wonderful messages, and it hopefully uh, your audience was able to, to listen to that. I know that Thanksgiving very often distracts. I mean, well, <laughs> I don't know. The the uh, gatherings with family and everything, you know, people have a little break in their normal daily routines. And so, uh, you know, I, I hope there were enough people that were uh, tuning in that wanted to make you a part of their Thanksgiving. And maybe they gathered their families and were able to hear some of these things, uh, something a little out of the ordinary for a lot of people. I, uh, uh, you know, we, we really, when when I was on Monday, we talked a little bit about uh, the thankfulness issues and 
And uh, so we, we did introduce that. You know, you mentioned today we might want to talk about some of the historical backgrounds from some of the things that happened. But, but let me just ask you, I don't want to distract it, uh, but and maybe you've already covered this, uh, Grant. Hold on, before we get to your question, though, let's ask a couple of questions for you. Two things. One, what is your favorite Thanksgiving food? And then number two, what about Thanksgiving to you is the most important? Well, the favorite Thanksgiving food would be leftovers. <laughs> all right. Uh, I'm kind of eclectic. I like it all, but I'll tell you what, for some reason... I mean, there's just never enough leftovers, in my opinion. I, I mean, and, and and people say, "Oh, you get sick of them after the first day." Well, well, I just love it. Uh, what you know, one thing I would say that maybe some people will absolutely agree with. Others will probably say, "Oh, where did that come from?" I, when I have pumpkin pie, I like it to have made the, been made the day before, and then chilled. I like to have it, you know, uh, cold. I don't. I mean, when it's. I don't know who wouldn't agree with that. Yeah, well, I don't know. I mean, I mean, maybe I'm strange, but, but uh, I I just think that uh, being able to grab some of those leftovers, you know, the mashed potatoes and gravy with the dressing and gravy on them and gravy on the uh, and gravy's really a good one too, <laughs> on the uh, on the turkey. Um, I I guess there's just so much of it that uh, just kind of warms the heart, and I, I I think part of it has to do with the. Uh, the uh, climate, the uh, season, the fall, you know, there's a chill in the air. Uh, I always spent an awful lot of time. I don't know that it's fall. It feels like winter to me, buddy. It's 21 <laughs> degrees outside this morning, and I go outside, and man, it's chill. Well, I, it is. You're right. But there's kind of a, a vibrance in the air to me. I Yes, there I, is. I, I agree. I, I love it. I, like, I always liked being, you know, upland game, stuff like that when I was young, the uh, – uh, I always, when I duck hunted, it was always uh, different. I mean, some people go sit in a, you know, in a blind or something like that or sit on a dike. And I put on chest waders and I jump shot the duck. I mean, which sounds rather brutal to America today, I know. But it was like pheasant hunting almost, only in the swamp, you know, with the water waist deep and the chill there. Anyway, there's there's kind of a feeling in the air to me for the fall. and. And that's not to say that we don't get something really nice in the spring and the rejuvenation and everything. Summer sometimes, uh, you know, early. No, in the morning, it's the you, seasonal differences though that we it celebrate. Is. It's the changing continually, giving you hope, giving you crisp, clean mountain air, giving you all these things that bring you closer to God is really the point. Yep, it is. I mean, again, to see the renewing of the earth every every season. I mean, you know, there's a. We're on a magnificent gift. This planet is an amazing creation by God, and it renews itself constantly. It's, I think it's been, you know, basically was assigned an assignment by God and put it into place, and, and it's been doing a faithful job of that. I'm sure that there's a, you know, a great deal of disappointment in how poorly we God's children have abided in our assignment here upon the earth. But it is what it is, and we do the best. Why don't we, we skip the break, guys? This is just too good. Hang tight, Doctor Bradley. All right, keep <laughs> okay. going, sir. So, the uniqueness of the seasons is one of your favorite things about Thanksgiving, where you really I feel it so. when Thanksgiving comes on. You bet. We took a hike yesterday. I mean, for when I was growing up, I always, I always uh, was on a extended hike in the mornings prior to the dinner and stuff, and so it was really wonderful that way. You get a good appetite and. And that's what my wife and I did yesterday. We didn't have the rest of our family with us, so just she and I. And we came back and had our Thanksgiving dinner. 
later than you know you would normally expect. When you got little kids and everything, you got to kind of go by their timeline. But but we you know took a hike that basically took us to sunset, and uh, so it was uh, it was kind of. Uh, there was a greater chill in the air. You know, the sun goes down, so does the temperature. And if you're up in the mountains, it's, uh, you know, it it just kind of, to me, it, it kind of reminds you uh, of a lot of things. I mean, uh, you think about in today's world, we're in a climate-controlled environment. You push a couple of buttons, and the temperature's changed a couple of degrees, and you're comfortable finally. You know, you push a button to raise your windows up and down on your car, you you know, you can adjust your, your vehicle. <laughs> I, I mean, That's it's right. just amazing. I, uh, many, 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 many years I had a vehicle that didn't have a heater, didn't have a radio. And uh, some of the times uh, I, I spent, you know, rather than being distracted by the drivel that's on most radio stations, honestly, I mean, I, I would have to exclude your efforts from that. But, but the drivel that's out there by uh, pandering, you know, people that are commercially trying to do whatever they do, and, and literally the big talking heads, honestly, their number one thing is, is not the message, it's the entertainment side. So anyway, I had a lot of time to think, and, and I, I mean, this is getting maybe away from Thanksgiving, but, but um, I, you know, the idea that, that we in our little climate-controlled, cloistered in, uh, communities and all that kind of stuff, we kind of forget the, the price that was paid, the the people that were involved, the people, uh, you know, back in the early 1600s when they started to set foot on, on this continent. By the way, before you get to the 1600s, I just want people to know the word you used because I want people to understand this. It's drivel. It's not dribble. It's drivel. D-R-I-V-E-L. And what the word means, just so people understand you, to drivel is to talk stupidly and carelessly. What is he driveling about now is kind of the idea. Okay, it, it, it matters, and these words matter. And a lot of these words I don't think people know, Dr. Bradley. It's kind of out of their vocabulary. And so I really want to kind of hammer home that word. You're, you're using it intentionally with a distinct meaning to highlight the importance of, uh, you know, entertainment just babbling drivel versus um, really speaking of things that matter and things that matter most. And when we talk about the seasons or duck hunting, we're not really talking about duck hunting. Although we're giving you personal realities of our lives and what we do and how we live and, and all these kind of things, what we're really talking about is the seasonal changes that God put forth on the earth and how grateful we are for those signs of change uh, that God gives us. Uh, it's a reminder of him and his creations, right? When we talk about these things, preserve the nation, okay, it's about God's hand on a people and on a country that matters most. When we talk about, you know, uh, I love ham and mashed potatoes the most for, for Thanksgiving, Christmas. That's my favorite. A lot of people love the turkey, and I enjoy turkey too, but I love the ham. If I can get a great taste in ham and some mashed potatoes with that killer gravy on it, it is just, I mean, it's better than dessert if you ask me. Um, I'm not saying I never have dessert. I'm just saying when Dr. Bradley talks about turkeys and things like that and the turkey gravy, and look, we injected our turkey with uh, garlic butter. I'm telling you right now, it was the most delicious turkey I've ever had. It was just delicious. So we enjoy the things in life, but we tie them to God's bounty and God's grace uh, to us. We tie the earth and our discussions to these critical things. We don't use these um, words uh, or these definitions lightly, doctor. 
You know, it's, uh, you, you mentioned a few things, and, and I, I guess we, I, I could, maybe people would consider it drivel, but, you know, you mentioned vocabulary, words. I think, and I, I have a hard time demonstrating or proving this, but I bet you we've lost between a quarter and a third of our vocabulary since 1940. I think that we have What's just... Up? What the meaning of is, is. What it be, bro. That's all we know. What's up now? You just walk up to people. You don't say, hello, sir. How are you? You say, what's up? Yeah. See, that's kind of illustrates the point on a simple uh, realm. But instead of going, hello, how are you this evening? Or, you know, uh, you know, how is your health? You know, how is your mother-in-law? How is your, you know, we just go, what's up? Well, that kind of highlights the point, right? It does. Words have meanings. Those meanings uh, can be rich. They can be communicative and um, and we we really have lost a lot of that then then let's look for example uh, and uh, maybe we'll tie it into the early american uh, experience oh we start reading george washington's thanksgiving proclamation of 1789 you'll get what i'm talking about yeah but you know what one thing that strikes me is that when, when we go outside and we look i spend a lot of time you know looking at the heavens um, you know, we're supposed to have a lot of signs in the heavens, I believe, in the the run up to the Savior's return. And you know, I like to watch the uh, the stars. And oh man, sometimes you know the the times when we have meteor showers to me they're exciting. But at any rate, um, if you go out and if you can see it through the smaze that happens to be put over us by all of the chemtrails that they're putting out and everything. Uh, if you can see, if you can see the North Star, the Polar Star, um, you know, as a guiding star, if you will, and that light from that star that you see with your eye tonight, if you go out and do that, left that star about 20 years before the Pilgrims left for America. I mean, that star has been. I mean, it, light travels at 186,000 miles a second. And so you get some idea. Which of in and magnitude. of itself is hard to comprehend. Oh, yeah. I'm not you saying get it's not true. I'm just saying it is, no. it is beyond understanding. 186,000 miles a second. And I don't believe it's the absolute speed limit in the universe, but we don't need to talk about that. But the fact of the matter is it's traveled fast and far to get to us here by now. And it's still in our galaxy. And, I mean, that's one galaxy out of countless galaxies that are that are in the universe. I mean, the creations are so vast and amazing. And and we could talk about just the time to get from the center of our galaxy to our little planet. I mean, these things are so amazing to me. The, the, the we are, the nothingness of man strikes me. But, but you think about the, oh, well, when I was in the service, I used to <laughs> lay on the ground and look at the stars and wish I was somewhere else. But, uh, but you know, to watch, you know, the, you know, if you find, for example, uh, oh, I don't know, Orion in the skies or, or find the Big Dipper or the Little Dipper. I mean, you, a lot of people don't look at the stars anymore. I mean, I'd, I could mention, I guess, some of these constellations and, and formations that in the past were well known to, to history. But but nowadays we rarely we rarely look up and, and to see the place of God's hand in everything that's put there, everything fitly formed. That was one of the things that impressed the American founding father. Well, not just them. The people in the Renaissance, I mean, as they were coming out of that darkness that had descended upon the world because of the abandonment of the Savior's message, and that's really what I, I 
attributed to. But as they started to come from that, there were new inventions as the awakening happened. You know, microscopes, telescopes. The human eye saw things they had never, ever conceived of, and they saw order. They saw purpose. They saw things that they recognized the Creator's hand in, and and it kind of stirred their hearts, and, and that led along to finding if there's order and purpose in in all of the infinitely small and infinitely large uh, issues of, of God's creations, maybe there's order that we could find for humanity and having peace and happiness and joy. And, and they started looking for that. That's where they started finding in the Holy Word uh, the issues of individual God-given rights and this idea of you know, the answers that, that bring peace to mankind in the Ten Commandments and all of these things. And it's just astounding to me that, that we have just cast it all off for the word drivel that uh, you mentioned earlier. And and I just, uh, I find it astounding. And I guess at Thanksgiving time, at the time of the Christmas season, although we're pretty confident the Savior wasn't born on December 25th and it was emerging with a pagan holiday, if you will, to kind of merge the Roman Empire with that, all you know, all of that kind of stuff. Most of the, I think the thinking people would say that Christ was born in a uh, an early part of the spring of the year, and we could go through all of that kind of stuff too. And, of course, he was crucified at Passover. We know the significance of that. All of those things were tied to events that had been, if you will, brought to mankind's attention to bring our hearts to God, whether it's the Feast of the Tabernacles or, I mean, you, know, you, you look at all of the ancient considerations to remind us uh, to look back, to, to look up, to look forward. You know, I mean, and, and we, we just don't do that, I don't think, as much as we should anymore. And we, we're missing great richness because of that. I don't know. I, I well, and, and the reason we bring this up right now, ladies and gentlemen, is for two reasons. I mean, obviously there's more reasons, but two main reasons that I can think of, and Dr. Bradley can add to this if he chooses, and that is the two reasons that I have are, one, you know, a lot of times when you hear about the night skies or when you hear about the stars or, you know, you hear about a worldly way that you can pay money to, you know, have a star named after you that's discovered, or you can look at the night sky and name the gods after the stars, and uh, you get into all this goggly gloop uh, that I believe is Satan's kind of stuff. Uh, or you can look at the night skies and realize that God controls the heavens. God controls our planet, the planet, the universe, the galaxy. Almighty God is in charge. And when we talk about Thanksgiving time, we are truly grateful and give thanks to and acknowledge our God. Okay? We don't look at it as the, um, you know, folks do that believe in many gods uh, we don't look at it uh, as a um, uh, you know way to divine or a way to uh, there's all kinds of terms out there mystic stuff or reading the future stuff or to us it's a matter of gratitude to us it's a matter of, well just like let me give you this example Psalm 19 1 the heavens declare the glory of God Right, that's what you got to understand. Uh, God said, "Let there be light in the sky." Okay, so we understand it is about God for us. It is about who we believe is the author of the universe, the author of the galaxy, and the author of our very lives. 
and he gave us our liberty. And so when we reach back in thanksgiving, that's what we're talking about. When we look forward to the future with faith and hope, that's part of our thanksgiving. Thanksgiving to God Almighty. The founders saw it that way as well. Let's be very clear. When we come back, we'll have Dr. Bradley speak to that. we got a lot coming up, ladies and gentlemen, all about gratitude, thanksgiving, appreciation, the founding fathers, our godly heritage, and our American, uniquely liberty-based history. With Dr. Scott Bradley, freedomsrisingsun.com in seconds on your radio. Your daily Liberty Newswire. You're listening to Liberty News Radio. USA Radio News with Lance Pride. The United States will send Ukraine another $400 million in military aid from U.S. stockpiles as the Russian war in the country reached its ninth month. The new package will include 150 heavy machine guns with special thermal imagery that will take out attack drones that Russia bought from Iran and have been deploying against civilian infrastructure in recent months. The Moscow-Idaho Police Department is asking for the public's help. Tim Berg reports. Police investigating the murders of four University of Idaho students in off-campus housing are asking for additional tips to help identify the suspect. Moscow Police Chief James Fry says any piece of information might help. Even if you don't believe it is relevant, investigators will review and determine if and how your information builds the picture. Police have not found the murder weapon, which is believed to be a knife. From the USA Radio News Phoenix Bureau, I'm Tim Berg. Thousands of Amazon warehouse workers in about 40 countries plan to take part in protests and walkouts to coincide with Black Friday sales today. Employees in the United States, United Kingdom, India, Japan, Australia, South Africa, and Europe are demanding better wages and working conditions. The campaign is being called Make Amazon Pay. The Brazilian Ministry of Justice ordered in September the suspension of iPhone sales in that country after concluding Apple harms consumers by not offering the power adapter included with the device. Even after million-dollar fines, now the government has seized hundreds of iPhones in different retail stores in Brazil. It's an action called Operation Discharge. The regulator is attempting to force Apple to comply with local law that requires smartphones to be shipped with chargers included in the box. USA Radio News. With PatriotSoftware.com, accounting and payroll, keep your time and money. Mike Kappel here, serial entrepreneur with words from another happy payroll customer. It's very easy to use from the login and the setup was extremely easy. I didn't have to call anyone for help. I was able to do it on my own. And I love the fact that I can run my payroll and print my pay stubs. And then you guys do all of the filing for me. So I get a quarterly report that everything's been filed on my behalf. And then at the end of the year, I can print out my W-2s. So I use you guys I tell everybody, it's the easiest thing I've ever done. Why anybody doesn't use y'all, I don't know. Visit us at PatriotSoftware.com. Use promo code RADIO and get two months of payroll free. That's PatriotSoftware.com. With PatriotSoftware.com, accounting and payroll, keep your time and money.
right, Psalm 19, ladies and gentlemen, just to wrap this up, Psalm 19. To the chief musician, a psalm of David, the heavens declare the glory of God and the firmament shows his handiwork. Let's be very clear about that. Then verse 1, quote, the heavens declare the glory of God. Uh, that's why we bring this up, doctor. No question. And, and far too often we, we are distracted from, you know, the true purposes of life and the, uh, the things that really, really, really matter. Everything from the personal relationships we have. But, you know, we, we talk about that glory of God. I mean, anciently, the, the people, uh, think about it. If you were traversing the, the wilderness or the desert or whatever, uh, whether you were Abraham or Isaac or Jacob or one of the, whether you were pioneers crossing the plains, uh, the, the skies really were if a If you're one of the founding fathers. Yeah, if you were, if you were ca- crossing the oceans, you were, you were aware of the things that the uh, stars you, you sailed by them. You traveled by them. They were uh, something that you were aware of. And, and today we rarely, like I say, look up. But but the uh, the connection to that, I mean, you think about the, the heavens were their cathedral. There, there never was a more glorious cathedral than than what the arch of the sky above our heads. And and I think that, that if if we get so far removed from that, we kind of forget the hand of God. You know, and I, I, I mentioned the, the voyage at the sea. Uh, <laughs> you know, right here in this, my neck of the woods, we've got a, a lake. It's, it's uh, about twice the size of the Sea of Galilee. But even at that, you can, if you're a good swimmer. Now, I wouldn't attempt it now, especially in the weather. But I used to, when I was in the service, swim three, four hours a day very often. And, and uh, I'm confident I could have swam across that lake. But but the people that came across the ocean that made the voyage from from Europe, they came in tiny wooden ships. It was a two month voyage. I mean, it was a year's wait once they got here for the next ship to bring provisions, to bring reinforcements. If they had to, if they thought, you know what, I'm in over my head, I'm going back to Europe, and and the provisions that were brought were <laughs> often so spoiled. Yeah. <laughs> Well, that's by the way, it's interesting to me that when the pilgrims got here, you know, they landed in November and December of 1620, and uh, they they had hard times. I mean, they didn't check check into the, you know, the local hotel and and uh, wait for their home to be finished. No, you had to. You're re- telling re- me the swimming pool is closed and we can't go yeah. swimming. For they heck's sake! See, that's the comparison, right? They had to clear the land. They had to build shelter. They had to get food. There was illness they had to deal with. There was exposure, unfamiliar climates, exertion, disease. And oftentimes the Native Americans were hostile, although sometimes they gave them great relief. But the fact of the matter is, I mean, I had one of my ancestors was on the, the Mayflower. He died before spring. His his son is whom we ultimately came from. I mean, well, it came from him, too. I mean, I guess you have to throw that in. But there were 102 people on the Mayflower that came to America. And and by spring, 14 of the 18 wives had died. And during the first winter, more than half of those 102 souls who landed were in their graves. I mean, all of these things are astounding. They sowed wheat over the grave sites to conceal their shrinking numbers from the Native Americans. Their band was getting smaller. But here's the deal. We talked about, you know, the, the, they came on the boat. The boat wintered over with them. 
When the Mayflower left America in the spring to return to Europe, the only people on board were sailors. Nobody said, oh, I'm over my head. I'm going. And and in spite of all those difficulties we just talked about, I mean, we could talk about the 1607 uh, thing. We could talk about, you know, the, when they settled in Jamestown and, and, and the idea of how many people came to Virginia. I mean, you just would be shocked at the decimation of people that happened in in the early years. It was just absolutely astounding. Uh, I, let me just find this real quickly. I mean, you will be astounded at how many did not make it. While okay, you find you, that, let me while you while you grab that, let me just kind of articulate this so people kind of understand what we're intending to focus on here, ladies and gentlemen. Listen carefully. We talked about to the chief musician God and his universe. All right. The heavens declare the glory of God and the firmament shows his handiwork. Then we want to talk about America's sacred story. The true story of the pilgrims. We're talking about their incredible sacrifice. We may trace our understanding to the sacrifice of these incredible people. We need to then compare that to our own lives. Are we willing to sacrifice? Are we willing to make holy that which is holy? Doctor, with that in mind, continue, sir. Well, you know, that we I mentioned the 1607 settlement, and uh, just, just think for a moment. Uh, between 1607 and 1623. So this isn't a big, great big window. 5,500 people roughly came to Virginia. 300 returned to England. 4,000 died. There were 1,200 living in Virginia in 1623. I mean, getting a toehold here was not an easy thing. Now, the, the pilgrims came. The Puritans came later, later 1620 to 16, uh, no, 1630 to 1640. But but this was they they it was root hog or die. These people had to dig in, and they had to make their way, and and it was an arduous task. And they were made of a different metal than we than we are. I mean, it's just uh, the, their backbone was uh, <laughs> capable. I mean, and a lot of them died doing it. But you know, you you look forward. You look through their first Thanksgiving after their bounteous harvest. You look at the the coming forward in the in the establishment of of the colonies and and what they had is fasting and prayer days that were legislatively created literally i mean the legislature says hey guys you know what we we need the hand of god we need him to smile on this for these reasons and very much during the revolutionary war period i mean we could quote state statements that were made by the the uh the founding fathers in their legislative statements we could talk about the uh, the issues of uh, orders that were given to George Washington and, you know, forwarding them to his troops to live in fasting and prayer and faithfulness. I mean, we could talk about the uh, uh, Federalist Papers and their recognition of the hand of God. We could talk about the Declaration of Independence and how it mentions God four times. Overarching, undergirding. And, and we can also add the not only the Declaration of Independence mentioning God, but their whole purpose before they took this action that they knew was very, very, it was scary, it was risky, it was virtually certain death for many. It was, okay, but they wanted to express themselves before God and witnesses of their righteous, sacred, necessary intent. Now, this is important because it shows where they put God in their lives, Doctor. 
Well, let me just quote. I mean, you can read about this in Berg's writings of Thomas Jefferson. Uh, it's in volume one, page 181, if you've got them. I've got the whole 20-volume series. I mean, it's a treasure. <laughs> but at any rate, here's what Thomas Jefferson wrote. He said, the legislature of Virginia happened to be in session. The House of Burgess thereon passed a resolution recommending to their fellow citizens that that day should be set apart for fasting and prayer to the Supreme Being, imploring him to avert the calamities then threatening us and to give us one heart and one mind to oppose every invasion of liberties. Here's, here's that one of uh, general orders of George Washington. Uh, the Continental Congress, having ordered Friday to be observed as a day of fasting, humiliation, and prayer, humbly to supplicate the mercy of Almighty God, the general commands all officers and soldiers to pay strict obedience to the orders of the Continental Congress and by their unfeigned and pious observance of their religious duties, incline the Lord, the giver of victory, to prosper our arms. I mean, these things happened. Uh, listen to what Thomas, no, not Thomas, Ben Franklin said. I mean, they were in the middle of the, con the Constitution Convention. It looked pretty much like it was going to be a failure. And, and here's this guy everybody considers to be a dirty old man, an atheist, a deist, whatever they call him. Not a shred of evidence uh, about that, by the way. This is stuff that the revisionist historians have come up with. Anyway, he said, I have lived, sir, a long time. And the longer I live, the more convincing proofs I see of this truth, that God governs in the affairs of man. And if a sparrow cannot fall to the ground without his notice, is it probable that an empire can rise without his aid? We have been assured, sir, in the sacred writings, that except the Lord build the house, they labor in vain that build it. I firmly believe this. And I also believe that without his concurring aid, we shall succeed in this political building no better than the builders of Babel. I therefore beg leave to move that henceforth prayers, imploring the assistance of heaven and its blessings on our deliberations be held in this assembly every morning before we proceed to business. I mean, there's just, I mean, we, let's talk about the, th All right, uh, we, maybe we, I don't we got to skip the break, ladies yeah. and gentlemen. Can you guys <laughs> skip that break for me really quick? And I want to talk about George Washington's Thanksgiving proclamation okay. of 1789, because if we're going to talk about prayer, which I think we must, uh, I believe that prayer, they wouldn't have made it, and they appealed to prayer so many times. But George Washington's Thanksgiving proclamation really could be considered a prayer, Doctor. Well, it, it could very much. And, and honestly, uh, we need to understand that uh, this didn't something George Washington just came to. Oh, by the way, I was ordered by Congress to do this. And we'll talk about the backstory on that a little bit. But uh, no, George Washington's inaugural address, his first inaugural address is filled and saturated with this kind of message, if you will. But just a little bit of the backstory uh, on George Washington's farewell address. Uh, th this idea that the First Amendment makes an adversarial relationship between religion and and the uh, and the government. Uh, it, the people say, "Oh, it, the First Amendment requires a national government take an adversarial relationship against public religiosity." See, the courts, in many instances, and legislative action would have us believe this. But, but this little statement, Congress shall make no law respecting an establishment of religion or prohibiting the free exercise thereof. That was a guarantee that we could practice our religion without government in intervention, without the creation of a tax-supported 
national religion, like was in England or with in Germany or wherever. The, the founding fathers saw the downside of that. They had seen the, well, they hadn't lived through them, the 30 years war and the 80 years war, these religious-based animosities that were out there. They wanted people to be able to practice their religion and participate without government interference, not saying the government had to be adversarial, but to get the heck out of the way. So anyway, <clears throat> let's look at the facts for a minute. Uh, on the 25th of September in 1789, the United States Congress, the House and Senate, forwarded the proposed Bill of Rights amendments to the states. Okay, got that date, 25th of September, 1789. That same day, the House of, Res the House of Representatives passed a resolution requesting George Washington proclaim a national day of thanksgiving and prayer. The 26th of September, the Senate concurred with that. So these same guys that wrote that First Amendment turned right around moments afterwards and said, we want the president to declare a national day of thanksgiving <coughs> and recognition of the hand of God. By the 28th of September, we know that joint resolution is laid before the president. And by the 3rd of October, 1789, George Washington issued the Thanksgiving Proclamation. We need to understand, <coughs> excuse me, we need to understand that their original intent, if there was no other evidence than this right here, that we're talking about this very moment, that of the original intent of the American Founding Fathers, that th this would be unassailable. In a court of law, you'd have to say, well, we understand very well what those guys were thinking. So, Washington... On the 3rd of October, put out this Thanksgiving proclamation. And at your request, Sam, I'll, I'll read it. Uh, therein he wrote, Whereas it is the duty of all nations to acknowledge the providence of Almighty God, to obey His will, to be grateful for His benefits. Hold on, let me stop you there and say this really quick. The first sentence out of his mouth talks about God as boldly, clearly, and as concise as you can get, and our duty to obey our God. Absolutely. Folks, it doesn't all get nations. more clear. It doesn't get more clear than that, does it? It does not. And his, and his statement that all nations, okay, but it, he ties it more clearly to our nation, okay, to obey his will, to be grateful for his benefits, and humbly to implore his protection and favor. And whereas both houses of Congress have by their joint committee requested me to recommend to the people of the United States a day of public thanksgiving and prayer, to be observed by acknowledging with grateful hearts the many and signal favors of Almighty God, especially by affording them an opportunity peaceably to establish a form of government for their safety and happiness. Now, therefore, I do recommend and assign Thursday, the 26th day of November next, to be devoted by the people of these states to the service of that great and glorious being who is the beneficent author of all the good that was, that is, or that will be, that we may then all unite in rendering unto him our sincere and humble thanks for his kind care and protection of the people of this country previous to their becoming a nation, for the signal and manifold mercies and the favorable interpositions of his providence in the course and conclusion of the late war, for the great degree of tranquility, union, and plenty which we have since enjoyed for the peaceable and rational manner in which we have been enabled to establish constitutions of government 
for our safety and happiness, and particularly the national one now lately instituted for the civil and religious liberties with which we are blessed, the means we have of acquiring and diffusing useful knowledge, and in general, for all the great and various favors which he has been pleased to confer upon us, and also that we may then unite in most humbly offering our prayers and supplications to the great Lord and ruler of nations, and beseech him to pardon our national and other transgressions, to enable us all, whether in public or private stations, to perform our several and relative duties properly and punctually, to render our national government a blessing to all the people by constantly being a government of wise, just, and constitutional laws, discreetly and faithfully executed, and obeyed to protect and guide all sovereigns and nations, especially such as have shown kindness to us, and to bless them with good governments, peace, and concord, to promote the knowledge and practice of true religion and virtue, and the increase of science among them and us, and generally to grant unto all mankind such a degree of temporal prosperity as he alone knows to be best, given under the hand, his hand, in New York, third day of October, A.D. 1789. Again, a recognition of the Lord, uh, Anno Domini, the year of the Lord, 1789, George Washington. So, so there's, there's a proclamation. I think that, that that could be read in the most sacred setting that you can perceive in your religious setting. I mean, what's your religious belief, uh, whether it's uh, one sect or religion or denomination or another, I believe that could be read in that setting that you consider to be the most sacred, and, and it would fit. I mean, I think that uh, this was a, a man of God that was moved upon by the Spirit to write those kind of things. And this continued with him, not just through the revolution and not just in his inauguration and not just right now in this thing that happened in his, his first administration, but no, it, it happened clear through his, his final farewell address and the religion and morality being touted as the two pillars of this great liberty that we have. I mean, it was overarching, like I say, and undergirding everything. And I think Americans really, really believe that. Most most Americans, I mean, we could talk about Timothy Dwight and his 4th of July address. We could talk about John Hargrove. Let me just mention that really quickly. John Hargrove, Christmas Day, um, 1804. So here we are, Congress, you know, normally everybody's off in their festivities, whatever, on Christmas Day. But the fact of the matter is that... Uh, Congress stayed together on Christmas Day. And they asked for a joint a joint session of Congress, and they asked John Hargrove to come and speak. John Hargrove spoke before the joint session of Congress, and his topic, his assigned topic by Congress, was, this is the title, A Sermon on the Second Coming of Christ and on the Last Judgment. Okay, now, Congress was intent on helping the nation prepare, do their part, I know it wasn't uh, maybe, you know, I mean, that wasn't central to everything they did, okay? But they did not want to detract from the purpose of preparing this nation for the Lord's second coming and the last judgment. Can you imagine, can you imagine something like that happening in the acrimonious, godless society that currently rules at the head of this nation? It is so astounding to me. But in 1804, it was a different program. 
a sermon on the second coming of Christ and on the last judgment. This nation was focused on our Savior. It was focused on His will and His work, and they knew the only way the nation would survive. I mean, they'd only come into existence because of His assistance. Now, we haven't always lived up to that by any means, um, and some of the things we've done have been absolutely dastardly, and and uh, and, and we've strayed far, and I, I just wonder how long it'll be before we have uh, that judgment day. <laughs> uh, nations can fall. Nations do fall. And when it happens, it happens rather precipitously. It's kind of like here one day, gone the next almost, you know. And uh, things crumble because the wrong focus becomes the premier kind of attention of the nation. So... Anyway, uh, and that's we, why for Thanksgiving we focus on this so much, ladies and gentlemen. We have got to turn to God Almighty. And if you look at President George Washington's three addresses, all right, his first inaugural address, which was April 30th, 1789, the George Washington's Thanksgiving Proclamation of October 3rd, 1789. And George Washington's farewell address of September 19th, 1796. In all three of those documents, he provided tremendous counsel, all looking to God, all focusing on unity, focusing on solutions for the nation, warnings, if you will, to keep us out of trouble, folks. And he did so, so eloquently. And you compare that to the presidents today where they're like, oh, we spared a turkey's life. We didn't murder a turkey today. Or that These turkeys on the have def- special names, and they go free as a symbolism of freedom. See, they mock what George Washington delivered so eloquently, Doctor. Well, you know, we got the guys saying, well, that depends on what the meaning of his is, you know. And, and uh, some of his more blunt statements about... Uh, Lies and more darn lies that they tell us. I mean, you think about, you know, how far we have fallen. Um, it's interesting to me, by the way, you mentioned the farewell address. And when we've mentioned it before, the, you know, the two pillars, you know, the religion and morality. Uh, I've got a, a chapter in my book about the farewell address in which we address a lot of these things. And, and the, the sound wisdom that's found within that farewell address. He never did speak it. He, he just wrote it and pr- published it. But, but the fact of the matter is... Um, for many years in this country, if you got a copy of the farewell address, more than likely you got one that was that was uh, cleansed, if you will, of the religiosity that was inherent in his statements. It, it was interesting to me that there was an overt effort by publishers. You know, you talk about fake news and big tech and and how they you know censor people and and they you know deep six messages of uh, disinformation. And, and they, they use every excuse to keep the, from the people things that might be considered in their mind and reasonable decisions might be made. But th- that's been going on for a long time. There were publishers historically that when they published George Washington's farewell address, the religious nature and, and its overtones uh, were, were expunged from the, from the address. And uh, it's just amazing to me the overt efforts that have been made. I mean, you look at John Dewey, the father of American edu- modern education. What a scoundrel. This guy 
a humanist, uh, a religious humanist, they called themselves, a godless individual that didn't have a divine God, but yet and still they knew that their belief system of humanism was a faith-based godless religion that believed in the wisdom of man. Those guys have expunged from the American school system with the uh, complicit activities of courts and legislatures. They have expunged. They Let's just put it this way. They, they booted God out of our schools. They excommunicated God, if you will, from our school systems. Now, I've got a chapter in, in my book, too, about uh, religion and education and, and the, the basis of how we became the most highly educated nation on earth, which is we've fallen from that lofty status. But uh, God was there, and we kicked him out. He's the source of all knowledge. And the courts, and, you know, no, you can't. Oh, poof, my goodness, that would be a violation of the First Amendment. But the First Amendment is violated completely and unequivocally and totally. No holds barred in in our modern American education system. It is based upon the humanist religion. And, and if you haven't read the humanist manifestos, shame on you. They're just such little pamphlets, you know, 1933, 73, and 2003. You could read them in 45 minutes. I mean, all together, all of them. And if you can read those and not catch, I don't know what I would say to you. If you can't catch in there the underlying and undertones of all of the American education system, godless, completely, everything that is done there is devoid of the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And, and, and we're in trouble. We're in trouble because of this. And on our Thanksgiving Amen to days, that. We're going to talk more about Josh, George Washington's farewell address. He gave some incredible warnings that as we think about Thanksgiving, we need to be thankful for this true leader who provided incredible guidance that we do well to heed today. We'll continue in the next hour. We'll talk about that. We'll talk more about the pilgrims. I know in a way it feels like we're all over the map, but we're setting the standard of God Almighty even controls our liberty and the skies and everything in them are. And then we depend on God, George Washington, providing this literal reality check. And then what we ought to do with our sovereignty under God Almighty as government derives its just power from the consent of the governed. And anything more or less than that cometh of evil. God save the Republic of the United States of America. Live from atop the Rocky Mountains, the crossroads of the West. West. You are listening to the Liberty Roundtable Radio Talk radio Show. Talk Show. All right, happy to have you along, my fellow Americans. Sam Bushman, live on your radio. Hard-hitting news that networks refuse to use. No doubt continues now. The good Doctor Scott Bradley is with me. FreedomsRisingSun.com, his website. His collegiate series and lifelong goal to preserve the nation. In other words, we say it like this. Our goal is to restore the republic and the traditions of our founding fathers using the supreme law of the land, the constitution, the checks and balances, and appealing to God Almighty, not government, for answers. Last hour, it's an extended Thanksgiving broadcast, if you will, as we celebrate and I give thanks all weekend long, ladies and gentlemen. Dr. Scott Bradley with me. 
And we talked about Psalms 19 to the chief musician, a Psalm of David. The heavens declare the glory of God and the firmament shows his handiwork. We talked about the night skies. We talked about America's true sacred story. We talked about the roots of our constitutional republic may be traced directly to the sacrifice of the pilgrims. We talked about George Washington's first inaugural address, April 30th, 1789. You should read it, folks. We talked about George Washington's Thanksgiving proclamation of October 3rd, 1789. And we also talked about George Washington's farewell address of September 19th. 1796 ladies and gentlemen he laid down a body of work that has some incredible takeaways that we want to highlight remember he provided the direction for the nation ladies and gentlemen we would do well to heed his counsel and especially on thanksgiving of all days and we tie it back to the pilgrims we tie it back to their sacrifice we tie it back to the hardships that they experienced so that we can enjoy what we do today it's important to look up to the skies and acknowledge God. It's important to look at those who pointed us directly to God Almighty. And in those addresses, he highlighted several things. I mean, there's so many I can't cover it. That's why you got to read them. But I will mention a couple, and Dr. Bradley can chime in on this as well. The nation's first president called for the American people to, quote, remain unified, to resist the rise of of political factions and avoid the influence of foreign powers. Folks, think about this. He warned us of parties. He warned us of foreign entanglements. And he said, look, you've got to stay together. Okay. He understood the importance of the United States. And that's one of the great reasons that I'm not really a secessionist guy, that I'm not really a, um, you know, article five convention guy. All those things point to divide and the welcoming of a divide. George Washington called for the American people to remain unified, to avoid political factions, to stay away. He mentioned parties would ruin us. Foreign entanglements would ruin us. George Washington used his final public address. He never gave it uh, in speech and words. It was published. It was his final public published address as presidents to warn against what he understood was the two greatest dangers to political prosperity, parties and foreign wars. Yeah, political parties and foreign wars. Boy, do we have those in spades. We're in over 100 nations plus militarily speaking. More like 130 many say. It all depends on how you define involved, right? Um, and then we've got partisanship till the cows come home. Both were warnings by the great general and the humble servant of God, George Washington. He highlighted that religion or, and morality are necessary conditions of the preservation of a people, of a free society, of government, if you will. It is inadequate, wholly inadequate for the governing of any other. And he talked about of all the dispositions and habits which lead to political, quote, prosperity, and I should add stability, are religion and morality. They're indispensable supports, he articulated. Folks, he can't be more plain than the solutions. And everywhere you look, we lack religion. 
We hear every day, oh, America's just turning their back on religion, and which means morality as well. You can't have a moral people without a religious people. You can't have religious people without a moral people. Two indispensable supports as we stand for the proper love of government. We look to God, and then we have a duty. John Quincy Adams, quote, duty is ours, results are God's. With that introduction, Dr. Bradley, let's continue. I know it feels like we're all over the map, but I promise we're not. We look to God first, and then we stand with God and do our very best to obey him as we then expect government who has delegated responsibility only with our consent. Remember that, folks. They derive their just power from the consent of the governed. And as we look to government this Thanksgiving, we better rely on the religious and the moral supports. We better rely on jettisoning partisan politics and divisions. We better jettison the foreign war idea. We have got a lot of work to do, folks. We've got a lot of work to do. Dr. Bradley, let's start there. Uh, The pilgrims set the standard for us. We need follow their lead, right? You know, Washington was considered to be the father of the country, if you will. You know, I mean, Madison's the father of the Constitution. And, you know, you have uh, Sam Adams and, and, and John Hancock, the father of the revolution. You know, they, they use those terminologies. But in reality, everybody was fully conscious of the fact that the real father of the land and everything good that came out of it was God. And and so these these men were were kind of instruments in fulfilling that, if you will, and, and carrying out these things. So lest anybody think that anybody's deifying anybody, uh, we need to always recognize that, that those that were carrying it out in accordance with God's plan and his will are, are really just mortal instruments of that uh, manifestation here upon the earth. So when we talk about these things, uh, please don't think, don't think that we're overemphasizing anybody and, and that the, you know, to some kind of discounting of God. Anybody or anything. That's correct. So, but but uh, having said that, uh, the contribution of Washington was, was immense. Um, we, we need to recognize that he was the indispensable man. And in fact, he was utili- ut- eulogized <laughs> at the end of his life as being first in war, first in peace, and first in the hearts of his countrymen. He was not perfect. Um, he... Uh, he made mistakes, but but yet and still, the things that were the guiding principles in their life, his life helped him fulfill all the good things. He never would have been. He had proven it time after time. Never would be a tyrant. He had had opportunities to take over the the whole nation. He had the only viable army on the whole continent after the Brits had withdrawn from from New York, and at the end of November in 1783. He could have said, you know what, this power thing, it feels pretty good. I wear it pretty good, don't I? Well, I'm going to do this. He'd been offered kingships and all those kinds of things. And yet he deflected and, power. In fact, he, others had begged him to actually do that very thing. There's no question. Saying it was the only necessary, only you know, realistic way forward. It was the only way that would work. And he absolutely rejected it. In, in my book, I have an extensive review of, of one of those opportunities. But the fact of the matter is... He deflected them. How rare a mortal individual. It is, as, as Defoe said in 1701, uh, all men would be tyrants if they could. And uh, Lord Acton uh, said 100 years after the Constitution Convention, 
power corrupts and absolute power corrupts, absolutely. You look at the power struggles that go on. You look. I mean, just think for a minute. We have a billion-dollar beauty contest every time we have a, a presidential election. I mean, a billion dollars is spent, and these people said, over here, over here, I'm me, I'm me, come for me, I'm the man, whatever, or the woman. And it's absurd. Washington, uh, he was a reluctant leader in the sense that he felt inadequate and all. Uh, we could talk at length about his personality and how he was self-deprecating. He always was deflecting, and yet he was the essential man in terms of the people knew they could trust him. And, and for example, when when um, the Constitution Convention of 1787 was, was called, it was a foregone conclusion. Had he not been there, it would have been stillborn. It would not have would not have borne fruit. But when he got there, he was, uh, again, he was reluctant to come. He felt like, no, no, that's somebody else's job. Somebody else would be better at it than I am, whatever. But he was unanimously elected as the uh, the president of the convention. I mean, he was unanimously elected for everything that ever happened to him. I mean, the Electoral College and all that kind of stuff. And, and he wasn't campaigning. In fact, he was uh, informed uh, of his uh, election. I'm, tr I'm going by memory now, but the uh, Electoral College elected him the 6th of April, 1789. Uh, he was informed the 14th of April, 1789. He, he agreed in, in Mount Vernon, rode to New York to be uh, inaugurated on the 30th of April, 1789. But, but he had been in, on his farm when the word came on the 14th of April, hey, you're the guy. And, and it was like, oh. I mean, we look at what he did when he uh, resigned his uh, commission and his charge in Annapolis after, you know, in December of uh, 1783. Uh, he gave back to Congress. He says, here's all the power you gave me. I don't want it. I'm going home. I'm going to be a farmer. He, he made it home in time uh, on the 24th of December, uh, 1783, to have Christmas dinner with Martha and the grandchildren. Anyway, lots of stories we could tell about him. But let's go back to the to the farewell address for just a minute. I, I have kind of a mantra, if you will, about this. I, I'll give you some idea of how important I think that this farewell address is. My recommendation is for anybody that held off, holds office that every day they should kneel before God and offer your daily prayers. That would be my first thing. Second, I think you should have study some form of daily scripture study. Third, I believe that everybody that holds office should read the entire United States Constitution. And fourth, I believe that they should read Washington's farewell address in its entirety. You know, not the abridged one that is lacking of religiosity. But I believe that it ranks there with setting the person's heart in the right place. I believe that if our leadership had done that for the last couple hundred years, we have had in the most senior leadership positions in this nation a parade, a train of lessers. I mean, manipulated puppets for the special interests that have done. I mean, and, and we could gore almost everybody's ox on these things. I, I know we've had worser worsers. <laughs> I don't know if that's even a word. But the fact of the matter is, we have had a train of lessers. And so, anyway, as I look at Washington's farewell address. Right, before I mean, you me, go on, though, let's talk about these three again really quick, though. Everyone that holds office should pray daily. Yep. Study scriptures daily. Yep. And? 
read the Constitution, and read the farewell address. Those, those are the four points, I think. If they did that before they left their room every morning, first of all, they'd be out of our hair more. Second of all, they would be, I think, over time, I don't know how people can't read, you know, talk to God, read his word, read what I believe was an inspired document, the United States Constitution, and read that farewell address, which I believe outlines so many of the foundational principles uh, upon which we could continue uh, in the originating purposes that the nation was established, you know. So I, I'd i like to encourage those that hold office to do that. I, I would presume that most would ignore such counsel, but but at any rate, that's that's where I'm coming from. So uh, There just, you have it, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, let's just spend a minute, and, and if we can maybe spend five, I don't know. But uh, th just some of the topics, and then we'll maybe emphasize some. But if people would look at Washington's farewell address, these are some I've identified. He speaks of his love of his country. He requests God's blessing on the nation. He pleads for unity. He advi advises the nation to avoid an overgrown military. He warns against designing men in what he calls combinations and associations. I mean, these are people that we run into every single day. He enjoins strict obedience to the Constitution. He instructs against tampering with the Constitution. He warns the dangers of political parties and party spirit. He reiterates that under the Constitution, powers are distributed and divided. And he says, don't consolidate. And he says, there's to be no encroachment between government departments. He speaks of preserving the Republic. He notes that making changes to the constitutional form of government may only be done by amendment. You can't do it by usurpation or by guess or by golly. He says there's or, to be no or usurpation. By, or by government unconstitutional agency through regulations, which is what they always do to play judge, jury, and executioner. Absolutely. Well, you know, we can come back to that one, but I'm telling you that they're a violation, an absolute violation of the separation of powers, how they're doing that. And it is a usurpation of power. Anytime the IRS or the BATFE or whomever makes some kind of regulation or some kind of policy that's enforced upon the people as a law, as though it had passed the constitutional muster of Article 1, Section 1, all legislative authority here and granted, House and the Senate, okay? No, it's a violation of the Constitution. He, he reminds us in his, his farewell address of the necessity of religion and morality in order to be free. He, he talks about preserving property and justice in the courts. He says that knowledge is necessary if we're to be free. He says that we should be careful, wise, and have limited use of public debt and credit. Holy Hannah, that's a big one. He talks about the necessity of taxes and revenue to perform the assigned tasks. And that's something that a lot of people that are anarchists well, we could go down the path, too. Well, we'll but we support, let's be very clear, they always talk to, and say that we're anti-government, Dr. Bradley. This is where they lie. We follow George, George Washington's um, admonition, admonition. Yeah, absolutely. to appropriately pay for the legitimate proper role of government. There's a defensive role of government, as opposed to offensive, that has its roots in godliness. God instituted governments among men for our safety and our security and our mutual blessings. Uh, this is that is not an anti-government view whatsoever, but it is a proper role of government view. But uh, there is no authority to read 
to redistribute money. Uh, that's where 60% of our taxes are going now. But So he talks about foreign policy, what we should be doing about foreign policy, and that we can't have favorite nations or nations that we have acrimony with. I, with, I mean, you pick your favorite nation and say, we'll go to war with them at a drop of a hat. No, 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 no. That is not the process. If we do go to war, too, it has to be done on a constitutional basis. He warned us about entangling alliances with foreign powers. He noted this great truth about foreign trade. He talked about foreign influence in our government. I mean, you talk about Russian collusion, or you talk about the Israeli lobby. I mean, all of this stuff, he's saying, don't go there. He talks about our neutrality in affairs of nations. He talks about good laws, free government, and says they're their ever-favorite object of his heart. I mean, these things were absolutely, they were honed and polished and put in a, a wonderful setting. And, and if people would stop and think about this, you think about every fouled-up thing that's happening in the nation today, and by and large throughout the world, because of what we've done with our intrusion into all the foreign powers and they're, we're violating national sovereignty all over the world in violation of what was the founding principle, if you will, one of the founding principles, I guess I should say, the Westphalian Treaty of 1648, which said, no, no, sovereign nations are sovereign. There are no second-class nations. No other nation or supranational organization can interfere therein. And, and you know what? We do it at a drop of a hat. The Council on Foreign Relations admonishes us too. The United Nations admonishes us too. NATO admonishes us too. I mean, you look at all of this foolish alliances that we've got. Uh, that we could see the outcome of those. What happened in World War One? That was simply a foolish war based upon entangling alliances, and it's what's brought about virtually everything since then. And 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 Washington pled with us about these kinds of things. His wisdom, I mean, you know, he really, he was an old friend, a loving father, if you will, as he went, you know, he was back, you know, really kind of leaving the public scene, which ended up really kind of being for the last time, I mean, in terms of his being on the stage the way he was. But, but it was his parting counsel, his last will and testament, if you will, his testimony of what we could do to stay a free nation. And it tied back to the foundations of the Constitution and the basis of everything that established this nation. He walked out the door, wished us well. But man alive, we've had, especially in the last 200 years, uh, a parade of lessers that have gone through that office. And certainly we have to throw Congress and the courts in that same bin uh, dustbin is what I wished we could do with a lot of them. <laughs> but that's that's kind of an overview of the farewell address. I I just think it's a magnificent work of, of uh, advice and counsel for good governance. And we've strayed far. We, we do. Every single day, every single moment we exist. Let's just take this respect for marriage nonsense. Where does marriage fit in terms of the government's ability to intervene in anything. It doesn't. The United States government is not delegated a shred of authority to do that. It's unconstitutional from the get-go. Every single word of it is. And the fact that, that uh, 
influential parties have uh, influenced the the covering of their behinds, if you will, with uh, government protection of stuff that has no constitutional basis. They're supporting it. It's diabolical. And and the the real God-given rights will be put at the greatest threat if it gets passed. And, and uh, there's not much chance it won't because of the way uh, the turncoats in Congress have done it. And it'll be on Biden's desk shortly, probably Monday. I don't know. Maybe it'll be after Thanksgiving sometime. I don't know, Sam. Did you cover that topic deeply enough? We've covered it a little bit when we've been on, but I'm well, not sure. Well, we need to cover it repeatedly. Uh, the point that you're making about, uh, you know, everybody who holds office should pray daily, study the scriptures daily, read the U.S. Constitution and George Washington's farewell address frequently. That really kind of tells the tale. We need this repetition uh, is the problem, doctor, because even guys like me, you know, forget if I don't keep remembering, remembering. I got to remember my Savior, Jesus Christ, and the covenants I've made with him. And I got to remember my godly heritage and my American heritage and, 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 and the um, examples that have been set by our founding fathers and the clear direction of God, family, and country we need to take. Uh, and these ideas to jettison foreign wars uh, and to jettison parties and then to promote morality and religion. I mean, what that does is redirects us 180 degrees towards God, family, and country. Everything we're doing now is uh, absolutely opposite of that. Everything. And we need to remember uh, what we're focused on. And so we might have covered some of it, but we don't cover it enough. No, there's not Uh, enough detail. uh, and, And we don't cover it enough because you can see, look, we can either go to war, we can either secede from the Union, we can either have a con-con and put something else in place. We can, or we can turn to God and turn to these principles and embrace it and, and, and do our very best. I believe that the Word of God, if we teach it right, the Word of God, family, and country, the Word of, of as George Washington said, hey, we need to be united. Okay, we need to realize what we're doing. We need to call for the American people to remain unified. Okay, these kind of things, I believe, have more power to lead people to Christ, which is really the ultimate goal. I mean, countries are devised uh, to help people uh, stay free so they can worship God and obey his commandments freely. I mean, that's the purpose of of government in a country, ultimately, is to allow religious uh, freedom uh, and liberty altogether. But uh, I digress except to say this. We need to really understand this and embrace this. And I believe that preaching the word of God family and country can do more to save us, to protect us too, than anything else we could do, including the sword doctor. And that's why I believe that Liberty Roundtable Live is so important. It isn't Sam. I'm just a nobody here. But it is about these principles that can literally prepare a people for Jesus Christ, our master, to return, which I testify he will do. We continue in seconds with Dr. Scott Bradley, freedomsrisingsun.com, on your radio. Exposing corruption, informing citizens, pursuing liberty. You're listening to Liberty News Radio. 
USA Radio News with Lance Pride. Elon Musk said that he would reinstate suspended accounts on Twitter, bringing back users that previously had been banned for posting hate speech, inciting violence, or engaging in other behavior that violated its policies. Mr. Musk on Thursday said the amnesty will begin next week. The Ford Motor Company has announced a recall. Tim Berg from our Phoenix Bureau reports. The risk of engine fires in some Ford vehicles is leading to a recall from the automaker. The worldwide recall is for over 630,000 Ford Bronco Sport and Ford Escape SUVs with 1.5-liter three-cylinder engines. Officials say a cracked fuel injector could lead to fuel spilling on a hot engine and start a fire. Ford says it's not advising owners to stop driving the vehicles or keep them parked outdoors. Officials say they have received about 20 reports of engine bay fires after the engine was shut off. Owners will be notified of their repair options. The United Nations Human Rights Chief Volker Turk on Thursday made a strong appeal to Iranian authorities to stop their unnecessary and disproportionate use of force against protesters in Iran. Young people need to know that they can peacefully express their opinions without fear of arrest and imprisonment. According to reliable sources, a conservative estimate of the death toll so far stands at over 300. The Iranian ambassador responds. Reducing the common cause of human rights to a tool for political purposes of a specific groups of Western countries is, app- is appalling and disgraceful. A big storm is traveling through the southern United States that will affect travel in Houston, Atlanta, and New Orleans today. Heavy snow in parts of New Mexico and western Texas through the weekend. USA Radio News. With PatriotSoftware.com, accounting and payroll, keep your time and money. Mike Kappel here, serial entrepreneur. Let's make sure your current payroll provider isn't overcharging you, shall we? First, go to your payroll provider's website to see what you're currently paying. Oh, what's that? You can't clearly see your pricing because your vendor is running a temporary sale or making you call for a free quote? (laughs) That's unfortunate. If you go to PatriotSoftware.com, you will instantly see our payroll pricing for companies with 1 to 100 employees. Well, there you go. At least now you know what you should be paying for payroll. Go to PatriotSoftware.com. Use promo code RADIO and get two months of payroll processing free. That's PatriotSoftware.com. With PatriotSoftware.com, accounting and payroll, keep your time and money. Live and on your radio, ladies and gentlemen, we are live the day after Thanksgiving. Most folks are in a food coma. We're tearing it up for the sacred cause of God, family, and country, ladies and gentlemen. That's who we are. Dr. Scott Bradley with me. FreedomsRisingSun.com is an incredible website with his um, links to his incredible collegiate series called To Preserve the Nation, his weekly webinars, Q&As on the Constitution, and a whole lot more. FreedomsRisingSun.com. Dr. Bradley, right before the pause... I was mentioning that, you know what, we really need to focus on these things. We have got to, and I know a lot of people say, you know, Sam, you just talk about this too much. I don't think so. We don't talk about it enough because God, family, and country is the only way for us to truly be saved, the only way to truly have religious liberty. It's a rare instance in human history that we've even had the kind of liberty we even have today, even with all of our liberties lost. 
to date that we've lost. I mean, we've lost a lot, but we still have a tremendous amount of liberty left, so to speak. We've got to focus on that. Uh, even in the COVID, when they locked down religion, that was, in, in my opinion, one of the greatest shots across the bow of denying us our liberty. Uh, but even in your home, though, you can still worship God. You didn't have goons coming to your house to haul you away in the middle of Not the night yet. for worshiping in your home. Not yet. <laughs> it's coming if we don't stand up for liberty. Uh, but anyway, this is so critical. I don't think we talk about it enough. And if we jettison foreign wars and partisan politics, in other words, divisions, and we stand together uh, and focus on morality and religion, I believe it can do more, as I mentioned right before the pause, Dr. Bradley, than even the sword can do for us. The teaching of God, family, and country, the preaching of the word, if you will, call it what you will. But I believe that's more important in our day to save us as a people and prepare a people for Jesus Christ to return. You know, I, I agree with you on the power of the word and the power of the spirit and all that kind of stuff. Uh, sometimes people's hearts become so hardened and we become so uh, completely averse to any of these things because of this false religion that is in the public education system, this humanist, godless religion that, that we teach in violation of the First Amendment because it is a publicly supported, taxpayer-driven religion a belief system, a faith-based belief system. But, you know, you, before the break, you mentioned that uh, we got to be reminded of things a lot, and I agree with that completely. And I think often of, uh, you know, the Utah Constitution has more than its share of problems. I mean, when it was written in the middle of the 1890s, the progressive movement was very, very much underway in the United States. The uh, uh, there was an undertow of, of Marxist things that were being brought forth, you know, socialist Marxist kinds of things, Marxism, communism, it's all socialism. But at any rate, um, and so some of that was interwoven by the uh, the Ivy League boys that helped write Utah's constitution to our ever, uh, our shame and our detriment. But some there are, there are a lot of good things still in the Utah constitution, but heaven knows that... Uh, some of these seeds of destruction that were planted have, have, are still going to bite us. But one thing that I remember often is Article 1, Section 27. And, and it's a truism that I think applies you know, in our church or in our families and in, in our governments and in our normal everyday lives. And, and this is the statement in Article 1, Section 27. It's, by the way, Article 1 is kind of a restatement of, of uh, the Bill of Rights, if you will, with some expansion. It says, though, under Article 1, Section 27, frequent recurrence to fundamental principles is essential to the security of individual rights and the perpetuity of free government. We have to constantly be reminded of things in order to not forget them or set them aside or let them go by the way or whatever you say. And, and to me, that that statement right there is the very reason Utah's governor should have been impeached during the uh, pandemic or plandemic. I believe that that the 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 things that were set aside during that you talk about the the uh, denial of the freedom of speech, the denial of the freedom of religion, the denial of the freedom to gather. None of those are set aside because there's a virus out there. I mean, these things, and for this to be done where the governor legislates, creates law, and punishes with huge fines, this is an absurdity. And now, again, I'm just maybe focusing 
on the absolute destruction, the meltdown of the Utah government and most governments across the nation during a virus. Holy Hannah. I mean, and Utah, to me, is, is a state that should know better, but doesn't, apparently. Well, they've decided not to. Um, but, but the fact of the matter is, we need to remind them that these fundamental things that are essential to our individual rights and the perpetuity of free government must not be set aside. And that's why I advocated and continue to advocate the impeachment and removal from office of our governor and, and uh, our previous governor. And uh, they need to be called out for what they did. But our legislature did a similar thing. They unconstitutionally delegated to the governor the authority to create law in violation of the Utah Constitution, in violation of every constitution, this separation of powers and delegation of powers kind of thing. So if we are not reminding ourselves of, of these limits and bounds of government regularly, we, we forget them and misapply them. The same has to do with our worship of God, our recognition of God's hand in every aspect of our lives. If, you know, we get a little bit... Uh, you know what? I mean, I'm, I'm obviously stating this facetiously, but you know what? I'm pretty good off. I've got, you know, all I need. I've got a warm home, food, clothing. I've got enough money. I've got a pretty nice car. I can still buy gas. Yeah, and a lot of what people do I bring need that God up for? when you bring up God. Yeah, they just say, what no. What do I need I, God for? What do I, you know, well, because the, the fact is that all that you have comes from God, and he's blessed you immensely, and you ought to acknowledge that reality, or at some point you're going to lose it. Every breath we take, every morsel we partake of. And that's what's interesting. You know, I, I spent a couple of years, as I know you did, uh, as a missionary. And, and one of the things that was interesting to me is we often found that those that uh, had the things of, of material wealth in life oftentimes were, were not quite as inclined to uh, say, well, wait a minute, I, I maybe do need more of God in my life. <laughs> you know, whereas some of the more humble people became the humble followers of Christ because they said, you know, I, I rely on him. I, my daily bread is something that is a little at risk every day. But somehow I get through, you know, somehow, you know, our daily bread, you know, give us this day our daily bread. You know, it's like, wow, I had enough to eat today. So did my family. And, and we made rent this month, whatever, you know. I mean, somehow uh, those that are kind of, humbled, if you will. Now, that's a dangerous position to get to almost in a way. I think as a people, if we become so complacent because things have been so good for so long that we kind of forget the source of all our blessings to the point that someday we might be reminded. And it might be a really uh, kind of in-your-face reminder that, that makes us come face-to-face -face with, with challenges that, that maybe we never thought we'd face. I mean, I think a lot of people, they go, I'm well enough off. I can, I can get into cryptocurrencies, and I can get my stocks and bonds, my portfolio, and, boy, I've got a 501, not a 501, a 401, you know. 501 has to do with IRS taxes, and so I guess in a way does 401. But at any rate, um, no, we, uh, things are fragile. And never at any time can we ever say we don't need God. I, th I think for a minute about a, a, and it's a long story with an earthquake that happened. And, and uh, my little brother had, was kind of a, 
a quasi-government official, and I got a chance to go into an earthquake area where uh, there was a, a, it was a, some kind of an engineer, I don't know what it was, a structural engineer or something like that, that he had built what he considered to be an earthquake-proof home in in this area that had a, it was a very isolated and, you know, local kind of earthquake, but it was a pretty big shake. He had built this home that was an earthquake home, earthquake-proof home, and and I went into that home after the earthquake. And, uh, you know, the structural engineering that went into it and everything else like that, well, it was like a giant had come in there with a great big sledgehammer and just crushed this concrete home. The 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 inflexibility that was there and the flex that it was needed had just everything had just popped like shattered like glass. And and I was I thought as I went through it, you know, we think we're smarter than God sometimes, and and we can. We can do things that somehow we, you know what, I don't need to, I mean, I've got this, I've got this snookered. And this engineer of some sort, whatever he was, had figured his house was, was, eh, okay, bring it on God. You know, I don't care what you do. It's fireproof, it's, uh, you know, earthquake proof, whatever, and, and poof, gone. And I, uh, I, I'm just amazed somehow that, when we think we don't need God any longer, uh, sometimes we're reminded, mm, you know what, we're not the biggest thing in the universe. <laughs> but let's go for a while. Let's go into s- sacrifice and service and devotion. I mean, let's let's focus more on something that really ought to be more central to our our belief well, system and, and our nation. Well, and things that we individually can do ourselves. You don't have to have money. You don't have to have this perfect plan. You, all you got to do is turn to prayer and the scriptures. All you got to do is turn to a humble life and remembering your God, your family, and your country. It all starts with gratitude and appreciation for what we have and, and the blessings. People fled to this country because they understood what it offered, and they were willing to sacrifice much to obtain it, doctor. Well, you know, in the let's go to the Declaration of Independence for a minute. We talk about God four times in that thing, and the being created and our creator and stuff like that. We talk about our supreme judge. We talk about, you know, providence. These things, you know, bring us back to the heart, if you will, of, of or the origin of all things. But they close with they pledged their lives, their fortunes, and their sacred honor to the things that we talk about so often on this. And and I, I've made a lifetime of study, well, over 50 years of these things. And, and I'm utterly amazed, utterly amazed at how often the founding fathers spoke of and wrote of uh, their posterity. What they did, they did largely for their posterity. Most of them were probably wise enough and old enough maybe to recognize that the, the blessings of liberty that they sought would probably never be to brought to full fruit in their lives. But they wanted their posterity to be able to, to have that ultimately and finally. Uh, you know, you look at the preamble of the Constitution. They were looking for the blessings of liberty for ourselves and our posterity. That's what they were looking for. They wanted, a, you know, their posterity to be able to enjoy these these great blessings of liberty. And, and, and sadly, their posterity has largely set them aside in, in uh, you know, recognition of their own selfish interests, I presume, without maybe even admitting it to themselves. But I think we need a little restoration of that. We look at our 
our supreme example, if you will, of sacrifice. Not my will, but thy will be done, said the Savior. You know, when he came to that great supernal sacrifice that that was exercised in the Garden of Gethsemane, it was like, whoa, this is a big task. And I, again, I don't want to make it sound too, you know, like like, I, like I've denigrated it by making it a little more common. But, but when he was faced with the monumental task of atoning for all the sins of mankind, it was pretty daunting for a man. He was a god, yes, but he was, he still had all of the feelings and tenderness and and burdens that the mortal man feels. And I mean, he he was made that in, among us so that we could identify with him and him with us. But but when he was faced with that in the Garden of Gethsemane, he he, he really said, not my will, but thy will be done, Father. At first he said, is there any other way? But there wasn't. And, and so he said, I'll do it. And so his service and sacrifice for everything, he walked on the dusty trails of, of Galilee and, and Judea. He, he, he faced hunger and he faced disappointment. He faced his people that killed him for crying out loud. And, and yet it was always an offering, a free will offering uh, from him to his father and to us. And, and so I think that's the, the absolutely complete, perfect example of service and sacrifice and and we do little things. I mean, you think not little things. I mean, think of the things mothers do for their little people, for their husbands. You think of fathers that go and work and in crappy jobs. I mean, think about it. I've worked most of my life in in jobs that I wouldn't have wished on anybody. I mean, yeah, they made a living, and I was so grateful. It was a blessing from God to be able to provide for my family. But you know what? Most of the time. The management team was just a burden. It was a burr under my saddle constantly. You think about all the things where where individuals somehow are lifting and blessing their fellow man, whether it's within their families or whatever. We need more of that in America. We need we need to recognize that what's in it for me is not the way that this nation was built. I mean, and and the. The COVID cowards that were out there, I hate to keep bringing it back to that dastardly facade that went over this nation and the whole world and continues to vex us with unsafe and unproven and ineffective uh, solutions. But but you think, I mean, you, you think about those guys that, you know, 80 years ago are throw them, threw themselves into almost sure death, and, and yet they, they faced it. I mean, it was hard. It was hard work to think of the pilgrim forefathers that that carved a living. Think of the pioneer forefathers that came into the West, and think of those that that just were there when they were needed to be there. And I I just can't help but think we need some more of those people today. We need some more to, that are willing to stand up and say, you know what, we'll lose this nation over my dead body. We need some politicians that grow a backbone and stop selling our soul of our nation away. And uh, instead of, you know, coming out of office, multimillionaires. You think about that, Sam. These guys make $170,000 a year or something like that. How do they come out of that job multimillionaires when they get done? I mean, it costs a lot to live in Virginia or Washington or wherever. 
and to fly back and forth and all that kind of stuff. How do they come out multimillionaires? They're playing the system. And and whether they don't take an overt bribe or like Harry Reid's turns it over to his sons to, to make a fortune or, or like Hunter Biden, uh, you know, playing his game, selling access. I mean, come on. We're a bunch of wolves tearing through the flock instead of being the good shepherd. It just is is an enigma to me. I don't understand why we have lost the goodness in America so largely with that which is so prominent. Now, I know there's good Americans. I've <coughs> told you many times about how, you know, I left home when I was young and I traveled between Florida and Alaska, New York and California as a teenager. <coughs> Excuse me, and I was able to um, see America and the goodness of America, and there's a lot of it left. But the stuff that gets the prominent, preeminent voices, the the big tech that plays up this or that or the other, the entertainment harlots yeah, and, and, and one whores. of the ways you can <laughs> tell about that is you look at who the icons are. You look at who they revere. Is it people like George Washington? No, not is normally it, today. Uh, is it people like the Founding Fathers? Is it people who are doing their best to preserve the nation, uh, to protect what we hold dear? Or is it you know people who take their clothes off or people who... Uh, whatever you want to say, get, uh, you know, uh, create a song that's got questionable lyrics or, um, you know, people who uh, have extreme ideas um, that don't like or don't believe in God almighty or anything we hold dear. Right. We need to focus on promoting Christ's or Christ like love through service and sacrifice, folks. That's what we need to do. We need to be all about promoting Christ-like love through service and sacrifice. You know, when you look outside of yourself and serve others, when you literally sacrifice for your God, for your family, for your country, uh, you then forge character. That's what the founding fathers, that's what the pioneers, that's what those who came before us, that's what the pilgrims, that's what those whom we celebrate this Thanksgiving weekend. Uh, through our gratitude, do we promote Christ-like love through service and sacrifice. This is the key, folks. If we have religion and morality, if we reject parties and war, if we stand with the Prince of Peace, okay, these are the things we're teaching. But you know what? I can't get five bucks to save my life to promote this radio program unless I fund it myself. Yeah, there's a few good people who help me, and I'm grateful for them. But by and large, now if I were to go ahead and do something write a something or promote a something or do something with, you know, perversion of any kind, sex, whatever it be, hey, I could probably put up a GoFundMe and raise thousands, millions of dollars uh, or whatever. We have got we have got to place our heart on things that matter, that are of saving uh, benefit. We have got to set our heart on love, Christ-like love. We need to set our hearts on service and sacrifice. What can I do to make the world a better place? There's a gazillion ways uh, to say it, doctor, but that's really the key. We need to set our hearts on the greater things, doctor. Sadly, um, today often is the the age of the anti-hero. And uh, 
you know, it's it's one of those things where you can look at the rich and famous and powerful and f- and uh, the preeminent, preeminent, predominant. Uh, I mean, it's it, almost any way you define it. Uh, the anti-hero seems to to take preeminence. I mean, this stuff made up sexual status and and the issues of uh, trying to divide and conquer through different conflicts and everything else like that, where those that bind together, that draw people together, are pretty rare. We need more people to come and say, you know, I'm following the Prince of Peace. I will perform the labors the Prince of Peace has asked me to do. We can do that. Our first place to do that is is ourselves. We We ourselves need to take that in our hearts and do it. Next, we need to influence our, you know, there, we have circles of influence, and certainly our family should be preeminent among that group, and the family should should take that upon them to have a unity and a binding in, in proper principle, and, of course, then we bring it to our communities, and we don't do that by uh, foisting redistributive, you know, requirements where theft by government is, is preeminent in the lives of the people, where government takes from the people to to use for favorite uh, projects that they might have. That's theft. It violates the Eighth Commandment. But, you know, we, we in our circles of influence, we need to do those kind of things. And we need to understand the baseline principles. We need to ma- measure everything we do in the right scale. I mean, it's astounding to me that nobody says, is that scale, has that been certified and made true? And most of the time it hasn't. We have some kind of feel-good status of measurement or something. I don't know what it is, but it's got to be the correct scale. Once we understand those principles, we help share them with others, and we make them popular again. And, uh, and again, we keep coming back to that true and unassailable master, and that's our, our Lord and our God. You know, we, we cannot stray far from that and maintain the goodness of that this nation was established and founded on. So hopefully, maybe a, a few reminders to us and, and resetting in our hearts some of these things might bring about some good things and in these coming weeks and months. I mean, we're entering what we consider to be the Christmas season. It is not a big Madison Avenue marketing thing. shouldn't be in our way, in our lives. Um, there's, there's a much more sober message and I wish there were time. I know we're almost out of time, but uh, but uh, the idea that uh, Christmas and uh, this nation really, truly are interwoven together. I mean, it's it's something. In fact, I'm going to try and find it really fast, um, just so we can end on something that John Quincy Adams said. We mentioned him earlier about the the uh, duty is ours, the results are God's. Here's what John Quincy Adams said. Why is it that next to the birthday of the Savior in the world, your most joyous and most venerated festival returns on this day, which was July 4th when he was given the talk? Is it not that in the chain of human events, the birthday of this nation is indissolubly linked with the birthday of the Savior, that it forms a leading event in the progress of the gospel dispensation? Is it not that the Declaration of Independence first organized the social compact on the foundation of the Redeemer's mission upon earth, that it laid the cornerstone of human government upon the first precepts of Christianity and gave to the world the first irrevocable pledge of the fulfillment of the prophecies announced directly from heaven 
at the birth of the Savior. Anyway, think about that. They were th- These people at the beginning of this nation tied the birth of the Savior and the, the birth of this nation together because they were based upon the same hopeful outcome. And man alive, if we started to realize that again, just think where we'd fit. Isn't that exciting? I think it is. Amen and, uh, to that reality check, ladies and gentlemen. We need to set our hearts on God, family, and country. We must spend our time on promoting Christ-like love through service and sacrifice. And if we do, ladies and gentlemen, we have a bright future ahead. If we do, we will create a people. We will create generations of children who love God, who look for Jesus Christ to return, and who are ready to receive their King when he comes. It is a beautiful future. It is a bright day. It is full of hope. It is full of faith. And it is full of true Christians, followers of Jesus Christ. I testify he lives and he will return. And this Thanksgiving weekend, we must give thanks on our knees. And then get up and go to work. We've got a work to do. Duty is ours. Results are God's. The Founding Fathers believed it. We believe it. And communicate that to you in the humblest of prayers that we together will stand. We will make a valiant stand for the sacred cause of liberty and for our God. We declare this nation shall endure. God save the Republic of the United States of America. America.